There you go. Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, my guest today is Dr. Timothy O'Donnell, and he is gonna be talking about practicing personalized lifestyle medicine in the Midwest. He's the founder of Co's Health. He was referred by a previous guest who's my co-author in many books, Glenn Merzer. And I look forward to this conversation and meeting him for the first time. Hi, Dr. O'Donnell. It's nice to meet you. Hi, Chef AJ. Great to meet you as well. Yeah. How did you how did you end up plant-based and a lifestyle medicine physician in, I guess it's in Indiana? Yeah. Um, well, I was plant-based long before becoming a physician, um, about 32 years ago. Um, I had asthma and I read a book by John Robbins, The Diet for a New America. And in that book, he was talking about how people had health improvements and I decided to give it a try. I was vegetarian at the time and it was my first year of college and thought, why not see if just removing the eggs and dairy would help my asthma? And it's been 32 years and I don't have an inhaler and I've done really well since then. That's um, great. So you, you mean you yeah, became yeah. plant-based even before uh, going to medical school? Yes. Yeah. Long before going to medical school, medicine is a second career for me. So I, I have a master's in music and I played classical guitar, Renaissance lute, and is a, I'm a composer primarily. That's um, very cool. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I, that, I see. I'm glad we're talking. I did not know that. Wow. So what changes? So you weren't you weren't even in medical school at that time. So did you notice mm -hmm. any changes other than your asthma and your health? Like were you a better guitar player or had more energy or? Um, I would say that it was a, a bit of a junk food vegan diet at that time. So I did have improvements. My energy was good. My uh, stamina was good, but there were still things I needed to improve as I learned more about really nutrition and diet. And 10 years after that, I really got engaged in that. And that's when I made that switch to go into medical school and really pursue more of a preventive medicine approach. That's cool though, because even as a, it sounds like even junk food, vegan diet, you still were able to get rid of your asthma just by eliminating mm -hmm. the animal products. So that's pretty cool. Yes. Yeah, it was it was really um, eye opening for me, and it it helped me and helps me still. When you tell that story, you share a personal story with anybody that you encounter that's interested in improving their health, and you discuss why you went down the journey you did. That is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, going to medical school later is easier for people than than when they go like right from college? Um. I think there's advantages and disadvantages to all of that, but I think it's probably easier before you have a family. And I had a wife and two small children when I went to medical school. So there were a lot of sacrifices involved with that decision. But um, I think I brought a lot to medical school that a lot of people didn't have. And I think the relationships and the understanding of what people deal with who don't have a direct drive to go right to medical school, there were a lot of just different experiences that I had had in my past that individuals that go straight from, you know, knowing at eight years old, they want to be a doctor versus changing their mind in their early thirties that they'd like to pursue a health career. Yeah. Did, uh, did you learn anything about nutrition in medical school? 
Uh, very little, as some of your guests have discussed before. But I did um, learn a little bit. And after medical school, I spent a lot more time learning and understanding what I learned in medical school was how do you really read the literature and the science so that then I could understand what the science of nutrition is telling us and how to guide patients with that. And I think that was the most powerful takeaway is, you know, a lot of information regarding nutrition is questionable out there and knowing how to read it and understand it and then share that with others and from a medical background, I think is really important. Did your diet ever come up during the in medical school? Did it, did you ever mention it to the professors? Did other students comment or was it just something you kept to yourself? Oh, it came up all the time because I'm always preparing. If I'm going somewhere, hey, these are my dietary restrictions. This is what I need to do in order to participate in that. And through medical school residency, I was never afraid of sharing that. Um, I was certainly an outlier, um, but everybody was, you know, very willing for the most part to participate um, when there was many of the meals brought in for medical students. I'd always have my own meal because it was usually pizza or something like that, which I, I wasn't about to jump in and eat it just because it was free and convenient. <laughs> when you changed your diet, did anyone around you <laughs> change theirs like friends or family? Um, I would say not right away, but I did have friends who changed their diet and, um, my wife didn't change her diet, but she's been on that journey before me and, or before we met. And then our children are, have had that diet and I've had a lot of patients who have adopted the diet as well. Well, great. But, but, but is your, is your, did you raise your kids eating this way? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Do they, yeah, do, they like do they like eating this way? That's part of their lifestyle. You know, they understand a lot about it. Um, they are very interested in reducing impact of our dietary choices on the world around us and also helping people in the community learn more about how our nutrition impacts their life. Um, my daughter right now is working on her master's of public health. It's just really neat to see them growing and so they're they're, they're grown children them. now. They're, they're oh grown. yes okay, I, okay yes well they were very young when I started medical school you know which was tw just about twenty years ago and they've watched me go through the whole career going to medical school doing residency starting my career then starting my own private practice so they've observed that and asked a lot of questions. They're very curious and had always been like, well, why are you doing this? How come people aren't eating like we do? And, and even as very young children, grade school or even preschool, I had questions from them that were very inquisitive about what is it that, why do we do things differently? And they've continued that interest and that curiosity. Right. Well, speaking of doing things differently, you're in mm -hmm. Indiana, right? Yes, I am. What, what city? It's in West Lafayette, right next to the university, Purdue University. So, so just a few miles is, from there. Is it a mecca for veganism? What's it like, this, the plant-based scene in your town? It's um, similar to what the plant-based scene was 30 years ago in the country, I would say. It's a, it's a, it's a beginning 
um, step. There, there's not a large population. We don't have any completely plant-based restaurants in our area. Um, we can go to Indianapolis about an hour away and there are a number of plant-based restaurants, but it is a community that's growing and it's understanding. And um, we are very happy to be part of that movement and helping people who are interested in learning more about that so they can improve their health. Yeah. Are you a good cook? Am I a good cook? It depends. I like to experiment and sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it falls flat as experiments do, but I do like to cook. I, I love to use a variety of foods and spices and try to make different varieties. Um, but I also, for breakfast, like to eat a pretty straightforward, healthy start to get my day going that has a lot of berries and um, nuts and seeds and some greens and just mix that all together and have a good, healthy start to the day. So my mornings are relatively planned out um, for the most part, very similar day after day, but my lunches and dinners are different. Is that a, is that a salad or a smoothie for breakfast? The berries, it's, nuts, seeds? It's, it's more of a smoothie bowl. So I make a smoothie that's real thick and it's kind of like a frozen yogurt. And then I put it in a bowl and cut some more fresh fruit on top of it and like to eat it. I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of drinking our calories. I think chewing is really important for our health. And so that's the way I've adopted to use that. No. Do you bring your lunch to work with you? I, I don't know, like if you work at a clinic, at a hospital, I'm not sure where you're working. I I have a private practice. There's another physician who works with me, but it's it's a office space that I have. Um, and I do bring my lunch to work most of the time. And occasionally I am really busy and I don't. So at those times, I know some areas I can get something that's right. healthy in the area. But for the most part, I do bring my lunch to work, yes. Yeah, yep. Is, uh, do you still have time to play guitar? I do. I've been getting more time. I've I've been very busy over the pandemic, as most physicians have. And I was also teaching medical students more about wellness and mind-body medicine and nutrition over the last six to seven years. And this year, I'm taking a little bit of a reprieve just to get some wind beneath my wings again. Yeah. But yeah, how, how I did, do. How did, yeah. How did Glenn find you? Um, I believe that we met at a veg fest. I have presented um, at a number of conferences and I presented at the Indie Veg Fest a few times. And I was a sponsor of the Indie Veg Fest for a couple of years um, as I was starting my business. And I believe we met there, to be honest. I, I don't recall the exact way that we met but I believe him and his wife met me wrote down my name and number and and as they were going through some questions they reached out to me yeah nice well uh, that's fantastic I'm so glad he found you well I know you have a presentation would you like to give it now or I, would you like to do more questions whatever works for you well, I am happy to present a little bit about what I do and then afterwards I'd be Happy to take more questions as they come up for you throughout that presentation. Great, thank you. Okay. Let me share my screen here.
it, it was there and then it went away. I think I had, there we go. There you we see? go. Yeah. Perfect now. All right. Yeah. So um, the name of my medical practice is Coe's Health Medical. And as I said, we're located in West Lafayette, Indiana. Um, we spent a lot of time thinking about what the name should be. A lot of doctors name a practice after themselves, but I was really interested in naming a practice after relationship building. And um, COS is a term used to describe a friendly chat, similar to a chat by a fireside. And I felt like that was a really good way to embody how we can help people be healthy because relationship building is so critical in order to help people improve their health. And why do we wanna help people improve their health? Well, right now, 85% of the medical costs in our country are spent on chronic disease. In 2021, the American Medical Association estimates there was $4.26 trillion spent on medical care in the United States alone. So if you take 85% of those costs, that equates to about $3.6 trillion every year are spent on chronic diseases. Over our lifetime, if you, if you start to span that out, it's about a million dollars per person in medical costs over their life. And the problem is our current medical training really focuses more on acute care, acute disease, which results from chronic diseases, but heart attacks and strokes and infectious diseases. It doesn't do very well at treating chronic diseases. And we have a lot of models that predict increased chronic disease over the next generation. You know, so early on in my career, I looked at how can I have an impact on chronic disease? So I wanna provide you just a little account of a patient that I've taken care of. This was a 43 year old male with mixed hyperlipidemia, impaired fasting glucose, metabolic syndrome, and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease with obesity and hypertension. So this is very common. And his weight was 240 pounds, 136 over 82 was his blood pressure. Cholesterol was high, um, both his bad cholesterol, the LDL was 164, his good cholesterol was low at 38, and his hemoglobin A1C, which is a marker for diabetes, was elevated as a pre-diabetic at 6.2%. He was on a few medications when I met him as well, one for cholesterol and one for metformin. And he didn't want to be on medicine, and he talked to me about what can I do to improve my life and to get off medication. So we began with meeting regularly, again, going back to developing a relationship, building trust, talking to him about changes and having him identify which changes he feels he could focus on each visit we had. Over the next year and a half, he was able to lose quite a bit of weight. His BMI had dropped to the normal range of BMI of 23.8. Um, he was 185 pounds, so he lost 55 pounds. His blood pressure was normal without medication. His total cholesterol had dropped 100 points 
And that's with stopping his cholesterol medicine. So his total cholesterol dropped from 246 with cholesterol medicine to 143 without it. And his diabetes marker normalized to a hemoglobin A1C of 5.2%. His LDL, the bad cholesterol, dropped to 67. And his good cholesterol increased to 54. And he was no longer on any medications. So he did really well. And I was so excited for him and really cherished the opportunity to take care of him for many years. So why is it that we focus on lifestyle medicine, or we talk about it a lot, and what is lifestyle medicine really? And how do we make the changes that are important? So lifestyle medicine is really about doing intensive therapeutic lifestyle changes over time to treat, prevent, and reverse disease using these same health-promoting lifestyle choices that maximize health and prevent disease as well, okay? So some people come in before they have any diagnoses and other people come into my clinic who have multiple chronic diseases and they want help. So American College of Lifestyle Medicine is, is the group that I'm a part of. And we really focus on six pillars to improve our health. Healthful eating, primarily through a whole food plant-based diet, improving our physical activity and, and it, meeting the physical activity guidelines, developing strategies to manage stress, maintaining and forming healthy relationships, improving sleep and avoiding risky substances. A lot of what we focus on is nutrition and a plate that's been developed by the American College of Lifestyle Medicine that I think is a good template for what we should think about. If we put all our food on a plate throughout a 24-hour period, would it fill a plate and look similar to this or dissimilar? And how can we change it if it's not similar to this to represent this picture better. And the reason for that is very well established in the science and the literature. We look at what's the health benefits, the nutrient density is a term that's used a lot in the foods that we eat. And so that begins with fruits and vegetables. <clears throat> and we focus a lot on leafy and cruciferous vegetables, and then non-starchy vegetables, and then fruits. Most Americans eat on average from the literature, three servings of fruits and vegetables a day, a total of three servings. And we really should be aiming for a minimum of five vegetables and five fruit servings a day. So 10 of those in total. And then as you go down that, you have starchy and root vegetables, whole grains and legumes. And all of these are really critical to help improve our health and reduce our chronic diseases. So what's the science behind this? You know, we have some leaders in this industry who have been researching this for 50 plus years. And some of the research goes back to the 1930s and 40s. 
And some of those pioneers, Nathan Pritikin, John McDougall, Dean Ornish, Caldwell Esselstyn, Hans Deal, they've been advocates and rock stars in this field for decades and have really had a tremendous impact on our knowledge and our ability to have the evidence so we can really move forward with this. So what are the main behaviors that we look at again? It's these six. And I would say that stress can be the biggest area that for most people that ends up impacting all the other areas on this list. So if we have a lot of stress that's not well managed, we tend to not sleep well or sleep too much. We may turn to substances of abuse. We may not go out and exercise. And a lot of times it leads to comfort eating and poor dietary choices. The other part of it is as a doctor, you know, oftentimes people think we do everything. And it really is important to have a team approach when we're working on lifestyle and behavior change. We use health coaches as a very important and critical tool for patients at Coe's Health. And health coaches have been around for over 20 years now, and they have a national board certification for those who meet the qualifications and take that board. And they're a very important member of a healthcare team in order to help people make an intensive therapeutic lifestyle change. So I wanna shift gears a little bit before we dig into what we do specifically at my practice, just to talk about why this is important. You know, I wanna spend a few minutes talking about the major causes of death in the United States and how much of those causes are attributable to lifestyle. So the first one is the number one killer heart disease. The number one killer in our country is 94% attributable to our behaviors. And this was a large long-term trial called the Interheart study. And they showed that people who follow more of a blue zone lifestyle, as it's called, which are these regions in the world where people live longer without having medical care than any other regions in the world. And they've been studied for decades on end. And also looking at this national health and nutritional examination survey, which is a decades long study of what really are the optimal behaviors that can help us reduce our risk for this number one killer. 50% of adults in their lifetime are going to have heart disease. So optimal cholesterol levels were shown that having a total cholesterol below 150 and a bad cholesterol, the LDL below 70, without having a history of coronary artery disease helps to nearly eliminate this risk when done through lifestyle 
up to 40% of heart attacks fall within the normal range of cholesterol. So that 150 to 200 total cholesterol and 70 to 100 bad cholesterol level. Cancer. Cancer is also a leading cause, second leading cause of death. And cancer, 62 to 66% of cancers are related to a combination of being overweight and tobacco use. So 40% of them are from tobacco use. 40% of them are weight related. And there's an overlap there. So the CDC reports 62 to 66%. These two factors account for that many of our cancers. There's other risk factors that have been researched and studied. And we, we are showing close to 75 to 80% of cancers are preventable. Lung diseases, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease are a leading cause of death as well in our country. And most of this is caused by tobacco smoke. So going back to the substance use. But there are some people who have asthma that don't control it well, and that can progress and lead to COPD, as well as some industrial exposures and uh, genetic deficiency of this alpha-1 antitrypsin. But those are less common causes. Strokes, another leading cause of death. The inner stroke study, similar to the inner heart study, large long-term study of thousands of individuals identified 10 risk factors that will reduce the risk of stroke or lead to the risk of stroke in 90% of individuals. So 90% of strokes are potentially avoidable. And this is where we, you really see a lot of that development of why do we focus on these six areas of behavior? Current smoking, unhealthy diet, physical activity, alcohol intake, psychological stress, depression, all of those have been linked. And so getting help when you need help for psychological stress or depression, helping to cope better with those stressors through healthy choices versus unhealthy choices. And a lot of people that I see for the first time, they go, well, it's genetics. I've been told it's genetics my whole life. And we had this really interesting study of twins, identical twins, so monozygotic or identical twins. And during their lifetime, their genes accounted for 10% of their variance in health status where epigenetics, which are these switches we can turn on and off based on our behaviors and our lifestyle, account for 70 to 90% of their health conditions and the variance in that. So genes do play a role in the disease we form they are not the trigger of that. The trigger of it oftentimes is our behaviors. 
And so that's what's really important to distinguish so that then you understand that we do have a lot of control in our health status and how we can improve our life and our health. You know, Dr. Mayo formed the Mayo Clinic and he, he uh, said the aim of medicine is to prevent diseases and prolong life. The ideal of medicine is to eliminate the need of a physician. You know, and this, this strikes me as important to understand because it would be great. This stems back to physicians are here for disease, not for health. But I think we need to be taking a larger role in being here for health and wellness of our patients versus just waiting for disease to appear. And why is that again? Stepping back to chronic disease. And if we're waiting for acute diseases, because most chronic disease are undetectable unless you're doing testing or screening, we will never have the impact on reducing health consequences in our country without being engaged with patients frequently. Chronic disease, like I said, is, is a big problem. Six out, of, six out of 10 adult Americans have a chronic disease. That's 60% of individuals above the age of 20. 40% of them have two or more chronic diseases. Almost four out of 10 Americans will have cancer during their lifetimes. And half of them will have cardiovascular or heart disease. Talked about stroke, type two diabetes is growing rapidly and the number of percentage of people in our country who are being diagnosed. And Alzheimer's disease is also a largely preventable disease with research showing up to 70 to 80% of Alzheimer's cases are preventable by taking care of and preventing chronic disease. These same chronic diseases lead to heart attacks, Alzheimer's, cancer, strokes. So what is it about chronic disease that makes it so difficult? It requires engagement. It doesn't require you to have symptoms. You can be feeling good and feel like there's no need to be engaged with taking care of your health. And that's what makes it so difficult because a lot of people really feel good. But if we check these markers, it shows there's a lot of concerns and risk factors for, for health diseases and chronic diseases such as heart disease or cancer. So I, you know, I got my doctorate in, in medicine and years after I went ahead and got a master's of public health so I could really understand how to engage and develop programming and what does that mean? 
And after that, I, I really started to focus on this intensive therapeutic behavioral change. And a lot of times I get people who come in and they say, I'd like to see you once or twice a year, but I hear you can help me be healthy. And I need to um, step back and, and be honest with them and say, it's going to be very difficult for me to help you with one or two visits a year. We really need to engage with you frequently throughout the next two years in order to help you. And I like to use a analogy of a dentist. And a dentist, we oftentimes go to twice a year to take care of our teeth. And if you're asking me to take care of you from head to toe in two visits a year, and a dentist gets twice a year for your teeth, I think we're gonna miss some marks there. And so I discuss it more as an orthodontist when you're getting braces and you have something that needs to be repaired or realigned. And so it's gonna take really frequent visits initially. And then we're gonna to have to space those out a little bit more, but it's gonna take about two years for us to really work with you to be effective and to create a maintenance program that works within your lifestyle. So the first step of that is meeting with me or another lifestyle medicine physician. We have one other at our practice and we create an individualized health plan based on your history, your experience, your lifestyle currently, and start to work on that. And this visit oftentimes is about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes long. Most of my patients walk out and say, I have not had a physician listen to me in many, many years, like I just experienced. And some patients say, I've been seeing the same physician for 10 years. And in this one visit, I spent more time with you than I've spent with them during those 10 years. And I think that makes a big difference in terms of their, the way that we approach it. And we're really interested in relationship-centered care. So the second part is working with that health coach and really deep dive with the health coach for the first six months. And we have about 12 visits that our patients will do in those first six months. And if at any time there's a need to kind of check back in with the physician, we schedule that time and talk to the patient and or the health coach. I meet with the health coach monthly to discuss all the patients that they're helping to work with. And primarily what the health coach does is connect and continue that relationship and help the individuals who come to us for care to make changes that they are ready to make. You know, and it's so complex. Our lifestyle is really, really overloaded for many of us. And we need to understand that we can't make all the changes at once, but how can we be really good at moving from 
step A to step B to step C, you know, instead of trying to go from A to Z within a week. Because we often struggle with that and it makes it difficult to sustain and maintain those changes. We recommend after those initial six months, having at least a monthly check-in or visit for a total of two years at a minimum to really create sustainable lifestyle patterns that people can continue ongoing. There are a lot of people who, who say changing a behavior takes three months. Um, changing a behavior, you know, you can change it, but can you sustain it is the bigger question. And can you make multiple changes in three months? And can we keep all of those up? So whether it be improving our sleep or learning how to cope with stressors in our life better or being more engaged in physical activity or eating a whole food plant-based diet, all of those are really, really critical for each individual that we work on. The other part of it is shared medical appointments. And so we have four different types of shared medical appointments that we offer. Um, I really love these. These are so fun because the peer-to-peer -peer interactions from the people who are participating are so engaging and really build connections. And we're starting to see more community building through that. And it's really exciting when you can have these times to educate, but also share and really talk regularly, weekly with six to eight people. And we have classes on diabetes. We do a culinary medicine class. We teach about mood disorders um, and what they have in common and what the different mood disorders and how lifestyle impacts those. And then we also have a mind-body medicine class, which is mostly geared about resiliency skill building. And that's a really, all four of those are just really rewarding. And many of our patients go through all four of these courses so that then they can really engage in the different perspectives, engage with different members of our community and build more relationships of others who are working to improve their health. Now, the biggest thing is this personalization. Now, lifestyle medicine in general is healthy and great for everybody but some people really struggle and they may want more data presented to them before they're willing to really jump into that. So at times we'll personalize around different nutritional profiles. We will run things like food sensitivity testing and we do some epigenetic and genetic testing to show people what are their risks based on those and what's being expressed? Then can we start to minimize that expression and help reduce their outcomes? You know, and that's really 
what I find the most fascinating. If I can help one person reduce their health risk and feel better, that is just so heartwarming. And that's why I went into medicine is to help people feel better without adding medicine and with the hope and goal of reducing or removing their medication as that initial patient that I discussed. And we see that a lot. We have a lot of patients who engage. They come in within two to three months. They go, I feel so much better. My energy is so much better. I'm not feeling that afternoon nap time is required any longer. On the weekends, I can go out and do things that I enjoy and participate. So again, this is what we are doing in Indiana, in our region. And I have patients from across the state who come to my clinic because there are not a lot of offerings in the Midwest that are similar to what I do. Um, when I found it, my medical practice, it was the first privately owned lifestyle medicine clinic in Indiana. There are other physicians, thankfully, that are taking the realms and, and moving and, and into this field. And I am encouraged to see that more and more interest in the medical community is looking at this. Now, I think what's really important, though, and a takeaway, when I have been, I, I mentioned I had uh, supported a veg fest. And when I was there, I had a lot of people who came to me who were plant-based and they go, they would say, well, why would I need a physician who is plant-based? And I would try to explain it's, you know, it's more about having a physician who understands the treatment of chronic disease and the health improvements that come from that versus using a physician just when you're sick or just when you have a heart attack. Finding a team member that helps you in your health and supports those choices that you're making to improve your health is really critical. And I do have a lot of patients who continue to have a primary care for those times where they're sick so they can go and be evaluated and see if uh, a treatment's needed. And they come to me for a program of lifestyle medicine. And then I have other patients who transfer their care because they're really interested in a long-term primary care relationship that's going to first teach them and get them on track of where they need to be and then help them stay on that path and provide a source of sustainability. So it's really unique in our region, um, but it's also a, a younger field in medicine across the country. Now, what's exciting is when I joined the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, I, I was able to sit for the first board exam. And there were about 200, I believe it was 216 physicians from around the world who sat with that exam with me. 
And we now have over 10,000 members in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And that is just wonderful to see. And hopefully, if you don't live in Indiana, you can find a physician near you that practices this way and is integrating a health coach and shared medical appointments to provide you with the information to help you improve your health. So it's been six years since we started, my wife and I started on the journey to found Co's Health. We opened up um, initially in 2019 at our current practice. And we had about a year. We opened up in April of 2019 and a year and then the pandemic hit. So it was um, an interesting way to start a business, but I will say we, we made it through it all and we are growing quickly. And it's, it's been really, really fun to be able to provide this in our community and within the state of Indiana. Um, we have also, you know, our commitment really is to change the culture on health and the way people approach medicine. Secondly, to really communicate the science of health. And this is nutritionally is probably where it gets the most confusing. But that's, again, goes back to the conversation with Chef AJ at the beginning. Um, medical school taught me how to read that literature and how to then um, use that in terms of care for individuals that I take care of. The third thing is to really empower the individual that comes to us for care and providing a supportive system for them without judgment and to help them learn what choices and behaviors they can work on and then help them to make those changes as they move along that. And the last part is to help remove barriers to healthy choices. We're, you know, about four years into that journey in our community, and it is a long-term goal of ours to provide more community outreach and to have offerings that not only people who choose us for their health can participate in, but any member of the community can start to engage in. And we do have some of those services have opened up this year where those shared medical appointments don't have to be a patient. But if you have insurance, a lot of times insurance covers those as a preventive service because it's helping you take steps to prevent chronic illness. Or if you already have that chronic disease, helping you make steps so that then you can reduce the progression and potentially reverse it. Thank you so much. Let me get myself yeah. back up. You know, one I, of the things you I said- I love that squirrel. <laughs> That's when I'm trying not to be seen. One of the things you said that I thought was so interesting is the goal of the doctor isn't to be there so that the patient can keep seeing the doctor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I, I mean, that is the traditional thought, right? The goal of the doctor from a medical perspective, from a sick 
doctor perspective is if we can, if people can be healthy, they don't need to see us. And I would love that. But many people come to a physician seeking for how they can be healthy. And many physicians aren't taught that. And I think we need to shift that paradigm a little bit. You know, Dr. Mayo, uh, he's, he's well known around the world. And um, this was 150 years ago or so that he made that statement. And I think lifestyle medicine is the embodiment of how do we engage with medical or health individuals in that community to get our own population healthier? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I like what you said about, mm-hmm. you know, when people said, well, what do I need you for? You know, I, I've been seeing a, a vegan or a plant-based doctor virtually since I went to the True North Health Center in 2011, because he's just a fabulous mm. doctor, Dr. Peter Sultana. And while I don't get to Santa Rosa often, when I'm there, he's my doctor, but I use him like as an ally because None of my doctors here, or well, actually now I do have a vegan doctor, but for most of my life, they're just regular doctors trained in regular allopathic medicine who will say things that I don't believe are true because like, for example, they'll say, well, your HDL is too low. Well, of course it is because my total cholesterol is low and I already exercise over an hour. You know, like there are things that they don't understand for people that are plant-based. So I have this ally Mm -hmm. and I can say, Hey, what do you think of these labs? And what do you think of what this doctor says? So I've always, even before COVID, where now it's much more uh, easy to get a doctor to do that. I was doing it for the last 12 years. And I, and even when I'm fine, I still, yeah, it's very hard to get an appointment with Dr. Sultana. Like you're lucky if you can get one every three months. I just keep booking them because I enjoy mm-hmm. talking to them. I mean, it's $95, which I guess for some people may be a lot, but I think it's like my health is worth $95 a few times a year, you know? to talk to somebody like that. So I'm, I'm really a, a fan of this um, because it, it is, I think it's important. I mean, you know, I don't have to have a vegan hairdresser, you know what I'm saying? Because yes. as long as he's a good hairdresser or even a vegan veterinarian, although when I lived in LA, every single person in my life was, it's not the case up here, but I think if you're vegan and uh, it's important to you, I think it's important to have a doctor that understands your diet, who won't mm-hmm. say things like, where you ain't your protein. <laughs> or or the opposite where I get people who, who see a doctor and they're not feeling well and they're they're on a plant-based diet, a vegan diet, and the doctor says, Well, you're healthier than all my other patients, so you should be fine. And they walk out wondering how how can they tell me I'm fine when I'm asking for their help? And it oftentimes it's just a a lack of understanding of what healthy behaviors are versus just medical treatment. Um, I, I have a lot of people who use me, I shouldn't say use me, come to me for a similar reason, Chef AJ, like you do with Dr. Sultana. So I have a lot of people who just consult with me and they consult with me. They'll bring their doctor's notes and say, I just want your perspective. I trust you. I know you know what I'm working on. And they keep telling me, oh, I I don't know much about diet. So I could send you to a nutritionist and they go to a nutritionist and the nutritionist says, starts counting macros versus talking really about the nutrient density of foods and how that all balances together for them. Yeah. 
It should, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, you would think that every doctor would be a lifestyle doctor in some way. I mean, obviously, you know, there's emergency room, you're, you know, when you, you know, but mm-hmm. it, you would think that they would be interested in it because there's almost not everything can be linked to diet. Like obviously, you know, if you're in a car accident, but how you mm-hmm. eat is going to affect how you heal and in all kinds of things. But it just seems like it's not important to most doctors. And I understand they're busy and they weren't trained, but it, you almost feel like an alien sometimes when you go to a doctor, that's not a lifestyle medicine, you know, like, like, like they look at vegan is almost like a disease and they write it on your chart. You know, <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, it is, it is something that um, is going to take a while to change. And I think it's just the training that a lot of physicians are put through. There's a lot of, you know, going through medical school, you're taking 28 to 32 credit hours a semester, very, very intensive. And how much can we add and how much do we take away? We are seeing more emphasis on behaviors on stressors, on nutrition. And there are some schools that are really, really focused on integrating this into the medical curriculum, which is fantastic. I think it's gonna be another seven to 10 years before we see that large group of physicians coming out of residency who are engaged in this. And we're really working in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine with a lot of primary care residencies, family medicine residencies, and pediatric and internal medicine to have their residents trained in this curriculum during their training so that then we will see that shift. You know, it's, if, if you think about like a question you asked me at the beginning is what's your community like in terms of a plant-based or vegan community? And I said, it was like Southern California 30 years ago. So there's a wave. The wave is, is growing and it's getting bigger. We got We've gone from in the last six years, two or 300 members in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine to over 10,000. And most of those are medical professionals, either doctors, nurse practitioners, dietitians, counselors, health coaches. So I do think we'll continue to see more and more. Um, I participate in a group, a network of lifestyle medicine doctors across the country who um, we work together. And we are working on contracting with insurers to get paid for quality of care versus fee for service. And that's a big deterrent for a lot of people because they don't understand how to transition from a fee for service schedule to a quality schedule for payment. What, uh, what is a shared medical appointment like? Like how long are they? How many people are there? Do they still get to ask questions? I mean, obviously you probably aren't examining people in a shared medical appointment. No. So um, yeah, they they are usually about an hour long. Um, sometimes they go a little longer. The mind-body medicine tends to be 90 minutes. Everybody shares in these. They're much more of a f- facilitation. So each week we have a topic. Um, So if we're doing our diabetes course, we might have a topic on how does your diet impact um, your epigenetics or how does your stress impact that? After that topic, everybody will share. So people will share about what did they do that week to help set new SMART goals and how successful they were 
If they struggled with it, they'll share that. And then we'll work together to talk about what are some strategies to maybe be successful the next week at hitting that goal. You know, so there's a lot of debriefing, a lot of sharing, a lot of talking. Um, it's really more about the people participating in the group, having a discussion, um, but they're always welcome to ask questions as well. We try to keep the groups below 10 people. Um, if it's larger than 10 people, it allows some individuals to kind of hide, you know? So that's my experience. So I try to keep it anywhere between four to 10 people and I'll do it for four patients. I'll, I'll have the class for up to 10. Um, and if we have more than 10, we just put them on the next session and that works out pretty well. Um, they typically don't ask a lot of personal medical questions. It will be more general, but sometimes they'll be very, they will share their medical history often. And it's important to open that session. Each session we talk about, you know, everything here, I can't guarantee that Nobody in the room will speak about it, but we ask for confidentiality. Um, and, and it tends to work really well. People really enjoy it. It's something that Medicare has encouraged medical providers to do since around 2008. And it's not adopted very well. Um, we have reached out to the local hospital systems and um, we're, we get referrals from them because we've had more success at getting people to stay and finish our group classes more so than the hospital systems. And I, I really believe it falls back to what I've been talking about, relationships and communication and having a doctor involved in it who really believes that this makes a difference is critical. Yeah. Do you only see patients in Indiana or do you also have a virtual practice? Because one of the live viewers mm -hmm. named Marianne is saying, I live in, I think it was Arizona. Yes. And yeah. how do you find a, an in-person whole food plant-based doctor? Yeah. So I am one of the few doctors who, who has licensing across the country. So I can see patients across the country virtually. A lot of insurers um, don't pay for out-of-state care. So if somebody sees me from Arizona, a lot of times they have to pay out of pocket. Uh, we, we are trying to do everything through insurance. So it reduces the cost for our patients significantly. Um, but anybody can contact us and our office manager could look into seeing if if their insurance would pay for their visits, or if they're interested in just, you know, occasional consultation, want to pay out of pocket, I definitely have patients who do that. Um, I started on that licensing because I have a lot of patients who go to Florida or Arizona for the, the winter while it's cool up here, and then they come back in the summer. And I felt it was very hard for them to get good care outside of our area. So even if they needed care, I wanted them to be able to contact me so they could have somebody they trust when they're on the road. Um, so I do have that capability and we do do a lot of virtual visits for our patients. Yeah. Um, finding a plant-based doctor, there's the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, lifestylemedicine.org has a listing of physicians who are lifestyle medicine certified. Um, and also ones who are members 
I would look for the ones who completed the certification first. And there's other organizations like plant-based doctors um, that individuals can find plant-based doctors. Mm, nice. Yeah, she's saying yeah. that she would love to have a whole food plant-based doctor because her GP yelled at her because she lost some weight and told her she has to eat meat, even though the blood work and everything was perfect. So, mm, yeah, I, that goes back to the conversation about why it's good to have a doctor who understands what you're doing and can really be helpful for you. Yes. So basically people are saying, how do you find a lifestyle medicine doctor? You need to go to the mm -hmm. American College of Lifestyle Medicine website and all of them will be mm -hmm. listed. Yes. Yeah. They have a, a practitioner, a way to find a practitioner and um, you can search in your area. I haven't, haven't looked at it in a little while. Used to be able to search by state. And then it, you can look at the cities that they're located in. And, and um, that was a really, that's a really good resource. Um, I had probably my first five or 10 patients who were completely plant-based found me that way. And then it's been a lot of word of mouth. So it's interesting, like if, you, if you're in communities of people who are plant-based, Somebody there may know a local plant-based doctor as well that you can then connect with. Yeah, that's great. That they need to make it easier mm -hmm. for everybody to find one. Um, there's one medical question mm -hmm. if you want to ask it from Kara. What do you do if you have low stomach acid? What do you do if you have low stomach acid? Um, well, a lot of times, I'm not a GI professional, but... I would say that I would continue to do things that are going to improve my microbiome. And I do a lot of work with people with GI issues. Um, Dr. Uh, Will, I don't know how to say Bolshewitz. Bolshewitz. Okay. Bolshewitz. He has a wonderful, yeah, Bolshewitz. Yeah. He has a wonderful um, site that focuses on GI issues. But I, I really focus on our microbiome. And how do we improve that so that then that microbiota should help to balance out your stomach acid production? Um, the balance of prebiotics and some good probiotic foods in your diet can really be critical. Um, I have the, the types of probiotic foods, you know, including high soluble fiber, insoluble fiber, and foods like Jerusalem artichoke and, and um, asparagus and, and garlic and things like that. Those are all really critical to help reestablish it. Sometimes we need to do some supplementation to help people kind of get that reset going. Um, but that's how I approach it initially. That's a very, the gut is very complex. The science is changing rapidly, and um, I, I use resources like, and I just call him Dr. Will to my patients because I can't pronounce that last name, so I apologize. Bolshewitz, 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 Bolshewitz. That's why Bolshewitz. he always goes okay. by Dr. B. Dr. B. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, there's a nice comment yeah. for you. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I'm, I'm people are asking for the link and I'm seeing, um, I, I could probably put that in the show notes once I find it of how to find a lifestyle medicine. Mm-hmm. Doctor. So we can add that afterwards. If I can't find it, maybe you can mm-hmm. send it to me, but we can definitely add that to the show notes, which appear right under the video. And Norma says, I really like this presentation. I think that Dr. O'Donnell's model of service is great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, well, thank you for the wonderful presentation. And you may not know this, but you get two free bottles of California balsamic vinegar and the flavor of your choice just for being a first time guest Mm. on Chef AJ Live. Oh, I did not know that. That's wonderful. Well, we don't want to tell you because we don't want people coming on just for the vinegar. I love balsamic vinegar. That is, yeah, it's it's really good quality. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, okay. she's following up what you said about the stomach. How is the pH level different of our stomach and our body? I don't know. Oh, our stomach has a low pH um, in general compared to our body um, because that has to make acid so that then it can start that digestive process. Um, and it's much stronger. But if you have a low acid production, your pH is often lower or higher. I'm sorry opposite. Um, so it goes up when you have low acid production. Great. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Any other questions? I'm not seeing any in the chat, but your contact okay. information is in the chat. If they'd like to book mm-hmm. an appointment, even if they don't okay. live in Indiana, they can do a virtual one. I, I just want to ask you, mm-hmm. you said you had culinary classes, so you, you do these yes. in settings? Yeah. In, in person, when we do our culinary medicine, um, actually, all of our classes are in person, except for we do do one mind-body medicine that's virtual um, that we've been doing for a few years. That group cohort, they travel a bit, so it allows them to stay engaged in it. Um, the culinary medicine classes are based off of American College of Lifestyle Medicine has developed or, or they use materials from Michelle Hauser. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she developed a course on culinary medicine. So we use not. Maybe you can introduce me because that sounds like a fabulous Mm -hmm. guest. Yeah. Yeah. I I could I can't don't know if I can introduce you because I've never met her. I've just used the materials that American College of Lifestyle Medicine has. So uh, let me get the link for you real quick because I've got that off of the site for finding a lifestyle medicine doctor. Yeah, that'd be great. We can add it. Uh, Jesse posted a link to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, but it's not a direct Mm -hmm. link on how to find a doctor. PCRM has an exact link for that too. And there's also- uh, Yes, they do. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, we're going to add that to the show notes right away. Yeah. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you you have a, um, I'm going to put it in the chat right now before we say goodbye. Thank you so much. I was able to multitask mm-hmm. and do that. Perfect. And do you recommend any special type of water, like the pH of what the water should be? Um, I do not. Um, if we're eating healthy, we're going to have a good balance in our pH in general for our, our body. Um, in the standard American diet, it tends to be pretty acidic, but if we're eating lots of whole food, plant-based, we're going to have a really balanced pH approach, and it should not be an issue that you're going to try to have a more alkaline water to help balance out an acidic diet. Um, the other part is um, carbonation, you know, if, you, if you're doing a lot of that. You, you, you want to have more water. You 
Also safe drinking water is really critical. Um, we, we do have a lot of communities that I would recommend filtering and I, I wouldn't recommend those storing it in plastic, but something like a good reverse osmosis filter at home and having a water, a glass water container that you can bring in along with you is really critical for your water. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thanks for bringing health, yeah. health awareness to the heartland. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for the invitation, Chef AJ. It was a pleasure. So nice and, to meet you. Yeah, very nice to meet you. Thank you. And thanks Bye -bye. all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back at 9 a.m. tomorrow when my guest is Bethany Russell. She lost 90 pounds doing Dr. Walter Kempner's rice diet. And it took her only four months. Have you heard of Dr. Walter Kempner, Dr. O'Donnell? I have not. Look him up because he reversed diabetes with just white rice, sugar, and fruit. And so when people say diabetics can't eat carbs, look at the work. It was at Duke University. They used to have what was called the Rice House. And because I've had two of the original doctors that mm -hmm. did this work on the show, they're they're older now, but it's amazing what, what rice did to these diabetic patients. They cured them. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah really I'd love to read more about it. Yeah. Great. Thanks Thank so you. much. Take care. Nice to meet you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.